Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. We'd like you to learn more about our reach around the world by going to cpeonline.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We've been considering the nature of saving faith as an answer to our repentance, and we'll continue to do so today. Where repentance says, I am a sinner, faith says, Jesus is my sinless representative. Where repentance says, my sins deserve God's unending punishment, faith says, Jesus has bore the punishment for my sins in my place. Where repentance says, my good works are filthy rags, faith says, Jesus would cover me in his perfect righteousness. Saving faith, you see, answers the cry of true repentance. If you remember, we spoke about this, and I just want to review this very quickly. We spoke about what repentance is, and we said that repentance is that change of mind where we take up God's position against our own selves and against our sins. The repentant person is somebody who stands with God in God's argument against ourselves. His argument against ourself, our sin, the state of our own righteousness, our source of satisfaction. But in a sense, if that's what repentance is, Faith is, at the same time, standing with God as He argues for us. Repentance is standing with God as He argues against us. Saving faith is when I stand with God as He argues for me. Here's what God says against me. He says that I'm a sinner. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.24 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I stand with God and I say, God, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. Now here's God's argument for me. He says... He declares that He sent His Son as my representative and that He has lived the perfect and sinless life in order to represent me. He has succeeded where I have failed. And saving faith and trust and confidence completely trust in Christ as the pure representative for my life. That's what a priest is, by the way. He's my mediator. He's my priest. And He stands on my behalf as a pure and righteous one. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It speaks of this declaration of confidence. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Confidence is another word in a sense for faith. Trust. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let's cling on to our faith. Let's trust. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Faith trustingly says, Christ is the sinless one who stands in my place to represent me, the sinner. That's faith. That's the argument God has for my behalf. God's argument against me also is an argument against my sins. He says that my sins are not a trifle, that they're not small things, but that my sins bring upon me God's just wrath and condemnation. And so I take up God's argument against my sins, and I recognize that I am eligible because of every sin or any sin that I've committed. I am eligible for His wrath and His eternal punishment. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Whoever keeps all of the law yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. All the law comes crashing down on me. That's how I understand my sins. But here's how God argues for me. God's argument for me is that he declares that his sinless son has taken upon himself all of the judgment for my sins. All of it. So what does Isaiah 53, 6 say? 
We all like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. By faith, I receive that. The sinless one has become sin for me and suffered for my sins, each one exacting its punishment completely and totally and eternally upon himself, upon the cross. I trust in that. I believe in that. That's God's argument for me. First, he had an argument against me. Now he has an argument for me. Here's another argument. God argues against the state of my own righteousness. He tells me that my sins are so deep that they cannot be removed by any of my good works, any of my self-righteous acts. And so I take up God's argument against my own good works and my own acts of righteousness, and I say that they are insufficient. I agree with Isaiah 64, 6, and I say that all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. I accept God's verdict from Romans 3.20 that says, By the keeping of the law shall no person be justified in God's sight. I can't do it. I can't make up for this with my good works. God's argument to the person who is bringing their own righteousness to the bench to find forgiveness is that it is inadequate and that it insults His holy justice. And I agree. Here's God's argument for me, though. God's argument for me is that He says, He offers to give me the gift of the utter righteousness of His Son in the place of my sins. Repentance says, I agree, God, there's nothing in me. Faith says, I'll take all of that for myself. I'll take that righteousness. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Can you think of that? The righteousness of God? I made the righteousness of God in Christ. I've got nothing else to cling to. There's nothing else that I can lay down. Everything else is a poor bet. I'll take that. That's what faith does. It trusts in Him alone. You know, the prophets prophesied of a day when all of Israel would put their faith in Jesus Christ and receive the salvation that God provided through Him. And it speaks of this day of national salvation, one that is still yet to come, but there's coming a day when those remaining in the nation will find salvation in Him alone. The Bible says they'll look upon Him whom they've pierced and they'll mourn as He comes back to rescue them. In a day to come, in that day, Jeremiah 23 tells us what their name will be and what his name is. In his days, Judah will be saved, it says, and Israel will dwell in safety. Now this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. You're the Lord our righteousness. How about that for a name? That's a name for him. That's a name for yourself, isn't it? That's a declaration about him. It's a declaration about you by faith. You are the Lord, my righteousness, in place of your self-righteousness. Here is where all of your identity is, in Christ alone. Here's where all your safety is. Here's where all your peace is. Here's where all your comfort is. Here's your standing before God and His righteousness alone. That's God's argument for your faith, for you. Here's the last thing God said. God argues against are seeking the source of satisfaction in ourselves, which is, by the way, the last holdout. It's the one thing we don't want to give up. Being the captain of our own lives. Being the person who, the independent of God, find out what pleases ourselves. That has to go. God declares that there is no joy and no satisfaction to be found in our self-directed lives. No. God argues instead for us 
this argument of faith, declaring that all joy and all satisfaction will be found when we throw ourselves on Him alone and faith in Him alone and yield to ourselves completely to obey Him. And the Lord Jesus, by the way, made this argument more than any other argument in the New Testament. It's interesting. The Lord Jesus doesn't make the big argument that you're a sinner. The Lord Jesus doesn't make the big argument that your sins are serious. The Lord Jesus doesn't even make the big argument that He's the one who's going to give you His righteousness. It's all true, it's there. But the big argument you find Him presenting over and over and over and over again is, I am the source of your joy. I'm the source of your fulfillment. It's the one thing, it's the stronghold people don't want to give up. I want to determine what will make me happy. God says, I know what will make you happy, and I get to determine it. You surrender to me. You yield your life to me. You give up with your self-pursuits for righteousness, or you give up for your self-pursuits for self-satisfaction, and you yield to me and you obey me, and I'll satisfy you. I'll satisfy you. So Jesus, over and over again, says things like, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus will say things like, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. Jesus has come and said, Come and drink of me, and out of your bodies will flow rivers of living water. Jesus says, Come and I'll give you water so that you'll never thirst again. Jesus says, I have come that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be complete. This is the invitation he's constantly making. It's God's argument for us. And so a person hangs on, on the cliffs of destruction, clinging to branches of self-righteousness and branches where they deny the seriousness of their own sins and their own state. They cling to their various self-made religions or those that have been handed down to them by others. And they seek freedom to pursue their own pleasures as captains independent from God of their own souls. And God argues against that hold. He says, you've got to repent of that. You've got to change your mind about that shrub you're hanging on to, those twigs that you're clinging to. You've got to turn, you've got to cling on to me. You've got to hold on to me. You've got to put all your faith in me. So the word is coupled together. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Well, we'll learn in Ephesians that this is not something that you can generate on your own. Faith itself is a gift from God. We'll have to talk about that next week. We'll have to look at faith and see what it isn't in a sense. What people have thought it was and people who thought that they were living a life of faith and they're not. What it isn't in light of what we spoke about. And we'll get there. But the question now is, have you made that transition? And if you have, can you rejoice in it? I've made the transition of trusting in myself and trusting in Christ. And the idea here, though, is, by the way, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. That means that every day as Christians, we're to be living and walking out this life of faith. But let me explain to you, the words remain coupled always. You cannot live by faith unless you're constantly turning away from yourself. You don't trust in yourself, you trust in Him. You don't trust in your own righteousness, you rejoice in His. It's compelling in your life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we might consider that there are those who could grow up their whole lives in a church and been brought there Sunday in, Sunday out by faithful parents and never yielded to the argument you've made against them and repented. 
And so as a result, never been able to embrace the argument that you're making for them. What you're giving of your own son, Jesus Christ. This table represents our participation by faith in all that Christ has given us. Our separating ourselves from our sins to embrace you. I pray that you guide us and direct us to affirm that if it's happened in our lives and to claim it right now if it hasn't. There's nothing in me, Lord Jesus. I confess myself. I confess my sins. God, forgiving me, forgive me for trying to measure up in my own works. Oh, God, for constantly seeking my own self-pleasure. I turn my mind from these things. I accept you, Lord Jesus, as my sinless representative. I accept you, Lord Jesus, as the sacrifice for my sins. You bore my punishment. I accept you, Lord Jesus, as all of my righteousness, your life for my life. I accept you, Lord Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior and the source of all my satisfaction. Lord, help us to renew that claim as we stand before this table. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.